Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Say, uh, dirtbag. This is Kid Triner, the voice of the Green Arrow, and you are listening to the DCAU Review, hosted by Cal and Liam, streaming at DCAUReview.com and on your favorite podcast. The original Justice League has become a memory. I am resigning from the Justice League. What's going to happen to the League now? We rebuild. From the ashes of that great conflict... A new team has arisen. A much, much bigger team. Each of you brings something different to the table. Old friends, new heroes. And as usual, plenty of bad guys jumping up to get beat down. Calm down, and I'll let you go. How about you kiss my ass? Watch out, evildoers. There's nowhere to run. Because this year, they're all around you. The league is unlimited. Original series starring every superhero worth cheering for and then some. Justice League Unlimited. Where am I exactly? Among friends. There's strength in numbers. Welcome everybody to episode 204 of the DCAU Review. I am one of your hosts, Cal, and with me, my good friend, good brother, the man that runs our Twitter page. It's Liam. Liam, we are after last week's wacky April Fool's episode where we spent the entire week talking about something completely alien to us in another completely <laughs> different comic book universe. We are back safe and sound right where we belong in the DC animated universe. And it couldn't be a better episode to return to this universe with. Welcome to episode 204 of the DCAU Review. That's right, and not only are we back in DCAU, but we are uh, jumping into Justice League Unlimited for the first time in quite a while. Uh, I don't think I had realized how long it had been since we had done a at least a full month of, uh, of JLU reviews, so excited to jump back in today with a very, very memorable one in Task Force X. Mm-hmm. It's nice to be back here, and uh, we are continuing in, of course, the Cadmus story arc. And uh, this is, uh, of course, maybe quite possibly the most popular storyline in the uh, in the history of the DCAU. So it's awesome to pick mm-hmm. right up with this one. And of course, with the ever popular Suicide Squad and uh, and its seemingly endless incarnations that we've gotten over the last decade or so, whether it be in animated form or in, uh, of course, live action, it's nice to, uh, to revisit the DCAU version of that, or maybe not the 
Suicide Squad, but Task Force <laughs> X. But before we get into discussing this week's episode, Liam, uh, we will, of course, have our official IMDb synopsis brought to you by The Pod Tower. That's right. You can hear our entire catalog all of our bonus episodes and our standard episodes available at youtube.com slash the pod tower. And not only if you go over there and subscribe to us, it supports us. It also helps out our friends at the watchtower database and Tim talk who both put out some, uh, some great content with regards to the DCAU and other stuff as well. So go like that, uh, go like that page. Liam, this episode originally debuted on the cartoon network back on May the 21st, 2005, meaning we are coming up here in just a, a few short weeks here on the 17-year anniversary of this episode's debut. Absolutely, and this is the synopsis for Task Force X, which was written by, what a team, Dwayne McDuffie and Darwin Cook, mm. uh, directed by Joaquin DeSantos, with music by all three of the Dynamic Music Partners, and animation by DR Movie Co. And that synopsis reads as such. Cadmus has recruited a team of supervillains named Task Force X, based on the comic Suicide Squad, made up of Deadshot, Plastique, Captain Boomerang, and the Clock King. Their mission, steal the Annihilator armor from the Watchtower. Mm, that's, that's fine. It's a little wordy, yeah, but, uh, but it, gets, it gets the job done for the most part. So That's right. So uh, yeah, we, we kick off our plot here. Now, before we get into it, we will just say it seems for, at least for the censors and standards and practices sake, despite the fact that they were a little bit more lenient here in the later years of uh, the DCAU, they decided to go with the name Task Force X because this is still a TVY7 production here in the US. So <laughs> we're going to use the word Suicide Squad in the, in the name. So they did go with that alternative name for it. But uh, we kick things off and it's uh it's pretty eerie speaking of a children's cartoon nothing more children oriented than a man being led to what appears to be a gas chamber of death uh, <laughs> <I> think, <laughs> the return the faithful return of the dcau's pre preferred method of uh, corporal punishment there you go. No, no, uh, no hooded executioner this time, though. Uh, that that's a bit of a disappointment. But yes, as uh, as we are, we come to learn here that it is in fact, uh, it is in fact Deadshot himself that is being led to the uh, slaughter, so to speak. And as he gets to his room, he of course is being very sarcastic and uh, and is 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 uh, sort of just he's he's uh he's ready to go to the to, to accept his fate we'll just say it that way uh however when they get into the room where he's about to face his execution and what did you know it there's already somebody quote sitting in his own seat unquote and uh, we learn that this is of course one colonel flag sitting there and uh without even introducing himself without a word they're just handed some papers and immediately they turn to the the officer that has that has uh, that shot in cuffs and uh, immediately order him to be released despite protests. There's still time, Mr. Lawton. Are you sure you don't want me to pray for you? I'm sure. But if it comforts you, Padre, by all means. 
Aha, my chair's already taken. Guess we'll have to come back tomorrow. Who are you? What is this? You can't just come in here. Release the prisoner. But release him. What if I don't want to go with him? Then you can go and take your seat, tough guy. Yeah, it feels like Deadshot thinks he's uh, thinks he's getting off scot free, and this is uh, no strings attached. But Floyd Lawton here is uh, is riding in the car, and is at this point that we kind of get our the idea that uh, this is some sort of well, I won't steal your line, Liam. <laughs> <laughs> well, really, it's it's the the hottest meme of 2016's line more than mine. But yes, it does in fact appear. Flag is recruiting a dead shot for some sort of suicide squad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, at this point, the <laughs> Colonel Flag reminds uh, Mr. Lawton that he just had a delicious last meal. And despite maybe the asparagus being overcooked, uh, that Lawton did in fact ingest all of it. And he lets him know that there are, of course, Liam, our favorite the return of nanites it was a nanite laced meal with a explosive nanites not just regular nanites these are exploding nanites mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so this is their sort of injection that threatens and and yeah, colonel flag uses this to make sure that the deadshot doesn't try any funny business and to escape so it's at this point he kind of gets the buy-in from him and takes him to this uh to this warehouse where we learn just uh who the other members are of task force x floyd lawton aka deadshot meet task force x george harkness aka captain boomerang expert thief and inventor temple fugit the clock king planner tactician expert with locks and systems infiltration and betty sensusi current alias plastique explosives expert hmm I know. I've seen the pictures. And that's all you're gonna see, killer. Enough of this now. Let's get stuck into the business at hand, eh? Agreed. Time is of the essence. That's right. We have uh, Plastique, which introduced to as sort of a uh, femme fatale explosives expert. We have Captain Boomerang, of course, the classic uh, Flash Rogue. And, uh, and then also in this crew, along with, of course, Flag and Deadshot, we also are introduced to a familiar face, uh, that being Temple Fugit, a.k.a. the Clock King, uh, returning here. And he's sort of going to be the guy in the chair uh, while the squad goes on their mission. A task Force X, because they don't really ever call him the squad. <laughs> so the task force uh, is, is tasked with a very, very uh, tough mission. And that is, in fact, they're going to be sneaking on the justice league watchtower to uh, pick up a specific weapon or package they're not even quite told what it is they're getting uh and uh it seems like a tall task and not sort of the various members of the of the task force are sort of trying to protest and say that this is a uh this is crazy and there's no way that they could possibly complete this mission but uh clock king sort of has a plan where he's been able to study the, uh, the league, the Watchtower's uh, uh, roster and sort of when, who is where and who is coming and going and who is on duty. And so they found sort of the, the perfect time to strike as 
There's only really three main leaguers they have to worry about, those being Captain Adam, Green Lantern, and the Martian Manhunter himself, who's always in that tower. He never goes anywhere. <laughs> so uh, that, uh, that sort of creates a, uh, an interesting an- dilemma for them as they are uh, they seemingly flag and flag and the clock king are pretty well prepared but the uh, the rest of the, the task force is uh, it's pretty unsure and that continues on even once they uh, sneak into a i guess a cornfield somewhere where they take uh, they knock out and sort of take the place of some of the various uh the purple shirts i guess you'd call them of the uh, of the watchtower they're not the red shirts from from star trek but they the, the crewmen, the expendable crewmen of the Watchtower and uh, the squad sort of takes their place and they are teleported up into the Watchtower uh, and, uh, and the mission is on from there. That's right. So uh, we learn and I will say that initial, initial uh, sneaking aboard the Watchtower really goes off without a hitch they are they're easily kind of in and there's uh there is sort of some of course magic technology that allows colonel flag who's wearing these glasses initially Mm -hmm. to sort of disrupt the security system which allows them to board the the watchtower without much fanfare he even (laughs) they even invoke uh potentially because the security system goes down as they're being scanned in uh they invoke the name of martian manhunter at that point or the martian to uh to to strike some fear into the security guard as having to explain why they're behind schedule so this allows them to be snuck through at this point Yeah, yeah, it's awe-inspiring, but I got a schedule to keep here. For the love of... Second time this week this hunk of junk's gone out. You'll have to wait till tech support gets here. Look, we gotta get a move on. We're late. Tough break, pal. You know the drill. Eh, no sweat here as long as you're the one who explains it to Jean. when you mentioned the Martian. And at this point, they sort of split up uh, and we have we have Captain Boomerang going with Colonel Flag and then we have Deadshot and Plastique on their own as they're all being sort of, as you mentioned, with the Clock King or Temple Fugit in the in the chair, sort of giving them direction. So they send uh, they send Plastique and Deadshot down to the reactor room as a as a distraction so that they're able to uh, break so the the colonel and and the cap the colonel and the captain that's uh that's that's a spinoff waiting to happen right there the colonel (laughs) and the captain can go on their own mission which is yet to be revealed. Once the colonel and the captain arrive at uh, this hallway where, where they believe that they're going to break in, uh, they gain access, but they are encountered by a second door that they w- were not in the schematics that they originally had. So this throws them off a little bit. And uh, because of this, they have Plastique and Deadshot begin the reactor meltdown ahead of schedule. So Plastique sets up some bombs and Deadshot is dealing with uh, one of the expendable crewmen, uh, discovers them, and there's a bit of a fisticuffs that happens, and uh, they time it perfectly so that when Plastique's explosives go off, uh, an exploding boomerang is able to knock down this second door that they were unaware of. 
I didn't I didn't manage to to mention it, but as Plastique and Deadshot are on their way down to the reactor room, there is this funny interaction between them and Green Lantern actually gets on the elevator, of course, oblivious to who these two people are on the elevator. And just to twist the knife and be a be a jerk, Deadshot asks him about potentially getting girls autograph. <laughs> How you doing? Uh, excuse me, Mr. Lantern. For six weeks now, my wife's been after me for Hawkgirl's autograph. You wouldn't know where she's at today, would you? Haven't seen her. Okay. Thanks anyway. You are a very bad boy. Tell me you didn't love it which John is none too pleased with this request and sort of brushes him off in, in quite an annoyed fashion. But uh, as he leaves, Plastique, and, who quite flirtatiously has been talking with, with uh, Deadshot the entire time, calls him quite the bad boy. So uh, after, after the fisticuffs and the explosion and the captain and the colonel are able to break down this door, we discover that the whole plot was to get into what amounts to the Justice League's trophy room slash armory as we see a bunch of different cameoed weapons and relics from different encounters between the Justice League and certain villains, which we can talk about in visuals. Uh, but ultimately, we learn that their main goal and their main purpose for breaking in is to retrieve the Annihilator, that the Annihilator was the end goal for this team to retrieve uh, for unknown purposes at this time. But their job is to get the Annihilator off of the Watchtower and back safely to Earth. So it's at this point that uh, <laughs> there's a the uh, Colonel Flag uh, recites the chant to try and awaken it and then seems to remember that uh, it is fueled by rage and catches Captain Boomerang off guard and gives him a swift right to the jaw, which awakens the Annihilator and comes alive just in time for uh, some of the Justice League to encounter them uh, as uh, Deadshot and Plastique have reunited. Meanwhile, of course, the, the Watchtower is in full panic mode at this point and evacuation mode. Jean is trying to get the entire crew off of the off of the watchtower captain adam has been sent down to the reactor room to try and contain the leak and green lantern is attempting to assist with the evacuation uh, so it, it appears at this point that the task force x may escape qu quicker and without a without a fight as it were and their distractions look like they've been working at this point but they happen to come across a couple of the c and d list leaguers in a in a hallway that leads to a pretty fun little bit yeah, that uh, that sort of race against time is, and and we're kind of I think talking about it as we go here. But this whole thing really does take on like sort of the like a classic heist, you know, mm -hmm. spy story, and and telling it from and sort of all telling it mostly from the point of view of the of the villains, at least for the most of this this second act of the story here, especially. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then it, it, it does begin to switch back as the other, the Plastique and Deadshot are sort of running to try to avoid being shut down on the lower levels as they're sort of dropping these giant metal doors to try to contain the radiation leak. And right when it looks like they're going to be trapped, Captain Adam, sort of uh, unbeknownst to who they are, 
is there to save the day. And then yes, you they sort of are able to reunite with Flag and, and Boomerang, as you mentioned. And we actually get a little bit of a showdown, a Justice League versus Task Force X showdown. Maybe not the Justice Leaguers that one would think of when you uh, when you say Justice League versus Suicide Squad or Justice League versus Task Force X. Mm-hmm. But yes, we do get Vigilante, Adam Smasher, and the Shining Knight going up against uh going up against the squad here and it's a pretty fun uh, sequence we'll certainly talk more about it in vehicles where they're they're pretty evenly matched adam smasher is sort of paired off of course with the the annihilator and is trying to fight this sort of unstoppable monster and that sort of frees the rest of the squad to deal with vigilante and shining knight and they really just barely get away with from shining knight by locking him in like a closet (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which i think is a pretty fun uh, a pretty fun bit there and then uh vigilante and, and deadshot have sort of a classic uh, gunslinger standoff which i think is great too and and then the flag is able to knock the vigilante out just as the annihilator knocks the atom smasher through a through a wall and they sort of arrive back in the main hangar and they seem prepared to make their escape when who should show up but of course the martian manhunter himself to uh to take them all down and he's he's doing a pretty good job of it until of course once again the annihilator gets involved and and uh, and tears him right in half literally <laughs> literally tears him in half which of course with a character like martian manhunter who can shape shift and change you can do that sort of super violent stuff to him because of course then he'll just regenerate and it seems as though Jean is uh, is doing all right in the fight. Honestly, once he once he pulls himself together, so to speak, he is able to knock the annihilator down, and it looks like the squad might be in trouble. But uh, actually, based on a conversation, it's a sort of a I guess a uh, the the Chekhov's scenario that we are asked about earlier in the episode, where Plastique is asked by the Clock King and flag what would happen if when she's about uh if while she's on the mission if superman walked in and she said she would grab a hostage and in this case the hostage happens to be the giant atom smasher and she threatens to drop an explosive into his mouth if uh, if jean does not back off and she uh she decides to set it on a timer and tries to let him tries to uh, drop it in his mouth anyway but of course captain adam returns and uh, is able to sort of struggle with her in the process. The explosive gets thrown into the air and uh, we see how Deadshot earns his name as he fires a perfect shot right through it, sets off a giant explosion in the hangar and that sort of covers the getaway as Flag, Deadshot, Boomerang and the Annihilator all escape the watchtower. Back off, Freak Show, or the meat puppet eats it. Come here. Let's go, girl. I've said this for 30 seconds. Plenty of time for you to disarm. Or not, as the case may be. Not very ladylike behavior, ma'am. They thought of everything. 
That's right. Yeah. And uh, as Jean tries to re- do a recall and bring them back, the the uh, teleportation machine explodes in front of him. So there's a short in it that they somehow installed. So uh, Jean bemoans that they thought of any of everything at that moment. So there's Plastique was the one that was left behind and potentially killed her. I mean, there was some groaning that happened after the explosion. There's some groaning and twitching, yeah. But, it, but her, the way that her body was sort of sitting there was a little brutal. So who knows? Mm-hmm. But uh, she is left behind. And then we do get the the reveal, of course, at the end, once Task Force X or the remaining members of Task Force X have arrived back at the at the warehouse, which, by the way, there was plenty of Luthor Corp, uh, uh, LexCorp and, and mm-hmm. Luthor material there in the in the warehouse. But uh, as we get there, of course, we will see that the the true head of Cadmus arrives at that point. And this is all the work of Cadmus as we see Amanda Waller or Amanda Waller arrive as well as well with uh, Tala, who is there and uh, admiring the Annihilator. And there's some speculation from the, the task force as to whether or not it was worth it and whether or not this machine can truly help them. Uh, Amanda Waller questions that, but Tala reassures her that this is something that can definitely be used in what their goal is. So we're left to wonder just what is to come next for the Annihilator and where it might rear its ugly head. And then we sort of get a little bit of a bow on the on the risk of Task Force X as they're walking out and Colonel Flash is questioned by Deadshot as to what Amanda Waller has on him to make him potentially do something so uh, so underhanded. And he says, he says she doesn't have anything on me. Some of us don't have to be blackmailed to serve our country. So we learn that the, the motivation truly is this idea that the government does not trust the Justice League at all. And mm-hmm. Colonel Flagg looks at this as just an, another mission for him to do. And uh, as Deadshot appears to be ready to sneak away, he quickly is reminded by Colonel Flagg that this is a five-year tour of duty and that uh, he's not quite off the hook yet and that he can plan on signing up for more missions in the upcoming years. So that's kind of where we leave the task force for the time being. And then, of course, we get to flash back up to the Watchtower as we have this interaction between Jean and Jon Stewart. How did you know Vance was the inside man? He was the only one on the tower whose mind I couldn't read. Cadmus must have supplied him with a sophisticated method of masking his thoughts. So... What do we do with him now? I'd like to go in there and wipe clean the last two years of his memory. Whoa, that's a little harsh, don't you think? He's a liability. I'm sure he's already spilled everything he knows to Cadmus. Don't you understand? We can't trust him. Jean, we can't trust anyone now. John may be the most angry that he uh, that he truly appears in this entire there is. <laughs> He's real angry. Um, they have discovered just who the person is, and it's a young man uh, by the name of Vance, who uh, has actually a connection to the larger DCAU, perhaps, which is interesting. Uh, gotta love the the work of of the writers of this uh, this episode to to bring mm-hmm. some long term continuity Easter eggs, some retroactive continuity Easter eggs into <laughs> it. But uh, so Mr. Vance is responsible for 
for that. And Jean has discovered him because he was the only one whose mind on the, on the entire watchtower that he could not read. And John asks Jean what he thinks that they should do. And Jean and in anger says that he feels like he should wipe Vance's last two years from his memory. And uh, John sort of pulls the reins a little bit on Jean and says, well, that seems a bit extreme. He's probably told everybody, uh, told all of Cadmus what he knows anyway. And uh, Jean comes back and says, well, well, at this point, we can't trust him. And John, at that point, recognizes that it's not just Vance that they can't trust if there's been this infiltration, uh, that they have such a large staff on the Watchtower that at this point, they can't trust anyone. And that's kind of the ominous ending of our story here. Yeah, it's a, it's a really, really, I think, compelling ending. And there's, I don't think anything is like super overt. Obviously, there's, this was written and created you know, during the Bush administration, there's a lot of talk, you know, and that that talk did not cease when that uh, administration ended. But, right. but uh, yeah, th those sort of themes, I think, were very much fresh in the minds of, uh, I'm sure, certainly of Dwayne McDuffie, who again was the, I believe it's, it's one of those episodes where it's credited by uh, Mr. McDuffie and teleplay by, uh, by Darwin Cook. So uh, I'm sure them, they both worked on that together. But the, those sort of themes of, you know, when is it, what can you excuse because it's the quote unquote good guys doing it and, and what can and what sort of terrible things are you willing to do in the name of purity and again you have that on one side you have the you know cadmus representing the literal u.s government in this case uh you know you know double crossing and lying and potentially being willing to kill various superheroes or even other innocent people on on the watchtower uh in a defend themselves from from the justice league who they believe could be a threat and on on the other side you have jean being very much willing to or very much at least considering going there and, and willing to sort of torture this guy who he believes has double crossed them and so it is really really fascinating to see those themes again explored even in sort of a surface level in this 22 minute children's cartoon and uh it's it's a really really compelling way to leave it where you have this sort of this sort of the contrast of flag and and sort of his you know ultra patriotism his his willingness to sort of follow any order no matter what it is so long as he believes he is serving his country and at the same time again you have you have the justice league sort of considering what exactly they need to do and to uh, to protect themselves from uh, from this sort of outside force who at this point they're still pretty unsure of what it even is but in this case, I think um, it's done in a way that is enjoyable and certainly uh, is, is not done in a preachy way. That certainly doesn't feel like it's, it's done in a preachy way. And it's, it's done in a way that's written so well that uh, that's, you know, makes you makes you want to see how the story is going to turn out, which is why these episodes are, are some of the best that have ever been written. Absolutely. I think it's like I said, it's just it introduces a lot of interesting themes and again, it takes those themes, but it doesn't hit you overhead with them. And in the middle of it all, you also have, like we said, this sort of very fun and interesting sort of race against the clock. It's, you know, for both for both sides of this, for the for the task force who are trying to pull off this heist and get out before the league even really knows they're there. And then the league who's working to evacuate the watchtower and, and free 
and 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 uh, and, and deal with this reactor leak. And you have Captain Adam letting letting Jean know that whatever this was, it wasn't any kind of accident. So you you have Jean sort of being immediately suspicious and. Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a fun bit of uh, of of the the heist going off, and it kind of goes wrong, but then they pull it off anyway, and and you have the the good guys kind of left stroking their chins, wondering what exactly they should do next, and and who they can trust. So yeah, it's a, it's a great uh, next chapter in this this whole overarching Cadmus story. Yeah, I think it's good. I think that for the episode itself, there. There are a few good action beats. I think the battle, obviously, in the in the actual uh, hallway there between the task force and Vigilante and Shining Knight and and Adam Smasher is is uh, is sort of not bookended. It's it's right up against then the very next battle that John has with them. And um, so yeah, it's 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 kind of light on the action at least at the beginning. It's more tension building. It's more, as you said, like thriller spy uh, heist type building of of uh, of the of of the story there in the those first little parts there and building up the tension. But I think ultimately, the the action really comes in uh, pretty large at the end there and makes it makes it an interesting story and then the 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 reaction that Jean has which seems very very uncharacteristic of him in re- in response to this feeling of betrayal uh, I think also gives a, another dimension to to his character and certainly I like that <laughs> that Green Lantern being the uh, always being the the cooler head in the room despite being a soldier he's not a <laughs> hot-headed soldier you know we've seen him do that with with Hawkgirl before and 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 Flash and several others but he gets to use that uh, that skill on Jean for this for this episode and kind of calm him down there at the end but um, yeah, so overall, I think this is a very fun episode, despite not having a ton of action till the final, uh, kind of like the, the end, tail end of the second act and the, and the majority of the third act, I think that it, it paces well. Um, and for all those reasons, I, I, because it's really enjoyable, I love that they went with the, the perspective of the, the villains and, and you, you follow them for the most part of it. Um, I, you know, I read, mm. and I think in one of the featurettes, they talked about that uh, on one of the DVDs that that was, this episode was kind of stalled and didn't seem to fit right until they decided to rewrite it from the perspective of the villains. And I think that that was obviously a, a brilliant choice on their part. So for all those reasons, um, and, and because of the, the strong, sh- strong story and the fun hat, I gave it an eight out of 10. What about you? Yeah, I went just a tick higher. I went nine out of 10. I think it's a really, really strong story. And uh, like I said, it pushes the, uh, the 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 ball down down the court, so to speak, and uh, to the to the next chapter of the Cadmus stuff. But it also, I think, just in a bubble, even without that overarching story, is still just a fun episode. And you get some, as we said, some returning villains with Deadshot and a very a very cool throwback with with Clock King as well showing up. So uh, yeah, you got some some really fun stuff there, and I, I think it creates a recipe for a really strong episode. Agreed. Um, all right, moving on to our second category here, Liam. It's going to be animation and visuals. Uh, what stood out for you this week, as we mentioned, or as I mentioned, uh, there's not a ton of action in the first, I would say, two thirds of the episode, but uh, more than makes up for it in the final part of the episode. But you have some some unique places that they visit, some new character models here of characters out of costumes and uh, a uh, sort of a revamped version of the Clock King. So what stood out for you in visual and animation? 
Uh, yeah, my first thought is that uh, um, Deadshot looks like uh, Tony Stark, <laughs> uh, or at least ni- 90s, like first season of the cartoon Tony Stark before his glorious mullet was yeah. uh, was born. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like seeing him out of costume because he really does have that model, and they and they do try to push that, as you mentioned, with uh, with sort of the flirtatious relationship with him and uh, and Plastique, but they. Uh, really kind of pushed him as the bad boy and i think it would it i mean for the reasons of the mission they're on it wouldn't make sense for him to be in costume but also as you mentioned that sequence where he's sort of uh badgering green lantern about getting hawk girl's autograph and things like that you just get the impression that this guy's a real like a real sleaze ball and and i think that uh so i liked seeing him out of costume you uh, again, seeing Clock King back, he doesn't have the clock glasses anymore, which I was a little disappointed in. Yeah, that's that but, was disappointing. Uh, <laughs> I guess those aren't government uh, <laughs> government approved now that he's a quote unquote legit on this stuff. But uh, but yeah, it's cool cool to see the Clock King back, and and then yeah, I, I think uh, maybe my first sequence before we get to the uh, to the the heavy action beats where once they make it into that first elevator past the uh, the opening security and all that, and they, they sort of get to work of suiting up, so to speak, and, you know, Plastique pulls up her, her, her uniform and pulls off like a fake midriff, like a fake layer of skin uh, around her stomach, then really is, she has all these plastic explosives, and then you see Captain Boomerang lift up his sleeves, and he has all these, you know, collapsible boomerangs uh, in his, uh, in his, these sort of little pockets on his wrists and then you see Deadshot opening up a uh, a lunchbox with a bunch of uh, energy bars in them and and peeling apart and realizing that he's sort of building a gun out of all the different pieces and uh, I think that sequence is really fun as they they sort of gear up for the uh, for the heist before the heist even actually starts. Yeah, there is uh there's plenty of, of fun in that <laughs> in the as, as they're coming together there. And I think even as they uh as they rip off the costumes and the name tags, well the name tags specifically as they sort of lay out the the original crew that was supposed to be brought up to the the watchtower itself. I thought that was great. Um I do love as they're going through, and uh, as as I mentioned, the the aforementioned interaction between GL and and uh, and Deadshot and Plastique in the elevator, they both have this really shocked, terrified look on their face <laughs> as they pan around. But uh, you know his his sly look as he realizes that he's going to sort of twist the knife is just just hilarious. It's like this quick change in the way that they made his face look. Uh, and it's it's just the slightest thing, but it's pretty pretty fun. Um, but yeah, I think that I think um, let's see what else. Oh, when they go into the uh, when they go into the trophy room or in the armory, uh, there's some great stuff in there as well. Um, I think uh, according I have a list here if you yeah go through it. So we have a a Gorilla City hover bike as well as Grodd's mind control helmet. From the Brave and the Bold parts one and two, we have a Weather Wizard's wand. Try saying that three times fast. Mm-hmm. From uh, presumably from Hereafter part one, or perhaps even going back to Speed Demons, we have a uh, we see parts of uh, the giant robot from Legends part one, as well as one of Lex's battle suits on display. Um, we also see part of uh, Toy Man's giant robot from Hereafter part one. And then uh, plenty of uh, Thanagarian weapon, the axes and shields and, and various things there. And then we also see the, 
the the ultimate deus ex machina weapon from uh from a better world part two as we are introduced or we do see uh, lex luthor's power disruptor as well there you go i mean that was very important at, at the time for stopping the the justice lords so now we uh now it's in the justice league's own hands though that's little... I maybe would have taken that if yeah. i were uh, if i were the <laughs> if i were the task force that that apparently works really well yeah you would think that lex would have told them hey i, I built this thing and uh they have it in their possession it just completely disrupts all of their powers yeah that was mm-hmm. a that was an interesting choice to go that route but that Could was maybe fun swapped that uh, phantom <laughs> zone projector that they that they put doing thing in the other day <laughs> now we're talking yeah a giant robot i don't know that that was the way to go clearly it wasn't because ultimately we know that it doesn't work out in their favor but sure it seemed like a good idea at the time i guess um yeah, other than that, I think that the fight between the Atom Smasher and the Annihilator is a ton of fun because you have, you know, you have two gigantic behemoths fighting each other. Mm-hmm. It's kind of one of the one of the very few times that we get to see the Atom Smasher in action. So he sort of moves slower because of his size, and uh, but the two of them clashing and having this big battle and him swooping in to save. I think it's Shining Knight uh, from being mm-hmm. crushed by the Annihilator's foot. He kind of swoops in at the last second and grabs the foot of the Annihilator and hurls him across the uh, the 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 hallway there. I liked that battle. That was a lot of fun. I like that Deadshot ends up getting Vigilante's revolvers. I thought yes. that was pretty cool. I didn't remember that being uh, a plot point, but he initially has these ceramic guns that he's firing and. Uh, to in order to get through security and then in the battle he's able to to procure the 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 vigilantes revolvers i thought that was great and then uh, i think the final fight between john and uh, task force x is a it's just a it's just a great showcase of of john's powers of course we get John turning into a uh, into what appears to be sort of a pseudo Martian dragon thing mm-hmm. again, and sort of uh, squeezing plastique into unconsciousness. Then uh, he does phase through without killing, but phases <laughs> through uh, Deadshot, I believe, to knock him out. Uh, he basically does the what's that? That Scorpion's fate, original the original Mortal Kombat fatality, where right? Exactly. Yes, which is inside and puts his hand through the guy's chest dead yeah should be dead but not um i do also he kind of pulls a batman he sneaks up behind he first sneaks up behind somebody and uh, <laughs> and sort of gets gets them from behind with and prevents them from from trying to do the no look punch and then uh and then then as he's about to uh, take take care at the very end of the remaining members of the the task force that of course is when the annihilator as you mentioned picks him up and tears him in, into pieces uh so that was that was pretty pretty a pretty scary visual of mm-hmm. john just literally being ripped in half complete with the the sound effect that came with it it was a little brutal and then he's thrown into like two, two different parts of the of the uh, computer and there's an explosion and uh then he actually has to reform which i thought was actually another another pretty neat visual that was that was done there but um i think the episode for the for the for the same reason that I told you that I I liked the plot because it was a little bit lighter on the action. There's a little bit less actual fun to be had outside of those two, two fights. 
Um, I will say that the fights mm-hmm. between in the hallway, there's a lot of pit fists that are thrown, a lot of punches that are thrown. So there's a, there is a lot of action there and a lot of violence compared to what we've probably seen in the last several weeks on cartoons. But um, yeah, it, it's kind of light on the, on the action otherwise, because there's so much story that's being told and it's not a bad thing. It's, it's not, I don't think it's a detriment to the episode. It's just, there was more story to be told in conversation and the, the buildup of them heisting the, the annihilator robot. So for all those reasons, I ended up giving visuals and animation a seven out of 10. What about you? Yeah, I went, uh, just to tick higher again, I went eight out of 10. I think it's, uh, it's really, really strong. Um, again, the the heavy action is more in in that, that those last minutes or so, but I I just think it's so fun that the the whole um, again jo- Joaquin Dos Santos is the director, and I, I feel like I notice with his his directing of these JLU episodes, there's always just one or two things where it's just there's a little extra oomph put into it, and the thing that stuck out to me is in the when Shining Knight and Vigilante have sort of paired off to fight, uh, to try to fight off the rest of the task force while uh, Adam Smasher and the, uh, and the Annihilator are fighting. There's a spot where Rick, Rick Flagg like runs up the window and then does like a flying kick to the Shining Knight to knock him off balance and then does like a running flipping drop kick to him <laughs> and knock him into like the closet or whatever that, that plastique locks him in. And it's just like, these just these extra little like anticipatory movements as he runs up and jumps off the wall and then does this like really graceful spinning kick. I was like, this is really, really tremendous stuff. And then yeah, as you mentioned, the uh, the battle between Jean and the the Annihilator as as Jean sort of you know swirls and slithers back together and he sort of reforms out of this puzzle puddle and we see the annihilator sort of turn and see that he's reconstituting and sort of run at him. And you get a shot of like the annihilator's feet and then a shot of its hand and the fan- hand makes a fist and it goes. And, and meanwhile, Jean has, his- and then, as you said, kind of in another spot here, it gets to pull off sort of the, the Batman trick where he's, uh, where he's not looking. And then all of a sudden he turns around and you get like a POV shot of the annihilator looking down at John as John turns around and just hauls off and punches him and, and knocks him back. So I, I thought that all of that, that last few minutes of the episode and, and even the, 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 the shot there is as the explosive sort of gets thrown into the air and, and uh, Deadshot gets his little one-liner in there as he fires the gun through the, uh, through the, the explosive and you get sort of almost like a slow motion for a moment there as you see the bullet go through and the hole sort of generate in the explosive before it goes off just really tremendous and then even just sort of the, the scowl on Jean's face as there's uh you know as, as the uh the machine sort of breaks down when he tries to recall the uh, uh the teleporter and he has the scowl on his face and you get the you know the the fire city is sort of reflecting on him and you get these shadows on his face as he's sort of frowning and, and says they thought of everything so just just really uh again those little extra flourishes that always seem to come in uh, in episodes that uh, Joaquin de Santos directed and uh, DR Movie Co of course responsible for the animation itself so yeah strong score from both of us 
Yeah, absolutely. The last thing I will mention is I mentioned in the actual story itself, but so at the very end, of course, they reveal that it's one of the crewmen, this, uh, this Vance, this Robert Vance that was uh, in charge of it, or I, I think they just call him Vance. I don't think, I don't know if they actually list his full name, but mm-hmm. uh, so that, of course, there is a character later on in the, in, well, not later on, but prior to this in Batman Beyond, there was a, a character by the name of Robert Vance, who uh, was the one that ultimately in the episode Lost Soul ends up taking over the the Batman Beyond suit. And it's the Mm -hmm. episode most famously, you can hear it in the archives at dcaureview.com if you like to covered it already. But this, I guess, is purported to be the father of the grandson in that episode. So he fits in between the grandfather who is the computer program and the son who is mm-hmm. the his is the surviving uh, person in this in this uh, in that episode? So that's some great continuity. Whether or not I don't know if it's ever been confirmed exactly, or whether that's strictly fan theory, but it it fits, and it and we know that that uh, the late great Dwayne McDuffie loved you know including continuity just yes. for continuity's sake. So why <laughs> the heck not? Hey, yeah, and I think if you look, if you put that character model next to the the grandson that we meet in Batman beyond they're pretty similar as far as like the hair and the the sort of the 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 eternal frown on his face throughout the episode that you because you do see him in one of the earlier scenes sort of talking with sean about about i think when the the reactor leak first goes off so uh yeah i think uh, i think it's definitely it's definitely there's some smoke to that fire for sure agreed yeah but pretty pretty awesome another one of the many reasons why we love these shows All right, Liam, let's move on to our next category, which is going to be music. As you mentioned, Dynamic Music Partners, responsible for this week's uh, soundtrack. So um, I had a few different things, actually, that stood out uh, this week, which uh, I will say, I don't think we've ever said that the music for Justice League Unlimited or Justice League, for that matter, is bad. I don't think we've ever had high critique of it. But a lot of times, I know that one of the things that we've mentioned is that it was meant to sort of just blend in the background it's usually synthesizer synthesizers that are mimicking orchestral instruments at times and so sometimes it it can stand it can blend in not blend in by standing out so it just sits in the background there and it's just more or less meant to set the mood with an occasional flourish here or there but i really thought that they did a really great job of setting setting this soundtrack apart and starting with the introduction, whether when a flag is going through the introduction of the entire task force, we get this theme that comes in and is played under his introduction of them. And then it sort of veers off into this very jazzy, classic, seductress type style theme uh, once mm-hmm. he- he gets to plastique and there's this flirtation that's happening between her and and Deadshot. And it really played up that scene. And I thought, I was like, man, the this suicide squad the original one not the suicide squad the sequel uh could have really taken some notes here from how they (laughs) did the intros here with 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 this not only with the storytelling but with the music just being very subtle in the background there but i i thought that was great and that stood out to me um did you have anything that stood out to you yeah, I think uh, I definitely agree with that, uh, the, sort of the introductory scene there, because I think it goes back and forth, because I think in those action beats, you certainly do have more traditional Justice League Unlimited fight music, especially once you get to the the portion with Sean, but 
uh, once they get up to the watchtower, and especially once, the, as as we said, they they sort of do that sequence where they're revealing their their weapons. You you get music that is again very reminiscent of like a Mission Impossible or something, where you sort of start out with the percussion. And it's just like really uh, sort of you know going on with like the conga drums, and then it sort of builds to the you know the strings sort of start coming in very high, and then you get like a horn brought in as well there to sort of when that when sort of the crescendo hits there and it's it's really really well done and really adds again to that that sequence of uh of them sort of sneaking around and and doing doing their spy stuff and and then once the uh the mission starts to go wrong and everything uh i think i think that really added that that feeling of again like like you just said like we're watching a uh, a mini spy movie here and so i think what yeah when we're with the squad we sort of get this this very uh uh this very uh uh, tailored theme for them and and to and sort of motif for the music in almost every scene and then sort of once we transition back to the to the Justice League towards the end of the episode then we get maybe more of the traditional music that you would expect from a, a JLU episode so I, I think a, a good job of sort of switching the musical identity even within a single episode but it totally makes sense because of the type of story you're telling and from whose point of view you're telling it. Yeah, I I agree. Um, yeah, the, the only other the only other musical note that I that I took was I think the there's a scene as I said where they they've split up between Deadshot and Plastique with and then Flag and and Captain Boomerang and they're sort of debating at that point because uh, they've lost their their bumper as far as time is concerned that uh, Flag and Flag and Boomerang are debating on whether or not they should leave Deadshot and Plastique behind so at at this point Flag realizes that he's going to go with what Boomerang suggests and leave them behind and just as they do uh, do decide to do that. That's when, of course, Deadshot and Plastique almost comedically run right past them, uh, arriving just in time. And there's this musical musical number that plays underneath of that that I thought it was pretty great. You're at two minutes past zero. You've used up your pad. There is no longer any margin for error. All right, you win. We go on without them. Bridge, double time. The evacuation's going too slowly. The radiation will be here before the tower's cleared. We need you to use your ring to transport large groups to the Watchtower annexes. But uh, yeah, I think it's a solid, solid performance on music. I, I love that there were a couple pieces that did stand out. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, adding to the, the general uh, uh, idea that this is a, a, a thrilling spy or caper or whatever you want to call it a heist movie whatever it is and adding the the right soundtrack to that really pulls off that atmosphere so um, i ended up giving music a pretty strong seven out of ten what about you yeah i uh i went just one point higher again i went with an eight out of ten so yeah i think uh i just really loved the sort of the the switch uh back and forth again from from sort of whoever's point of view and uh, and yeah i think that the, that sequence where they're they're sort of pulling off the heist is just really really outstanding and and uh is uh it's definitely something i again didn't really remember specifically for this episode until i went back to it and just thought that was such a such a neat way to uh, incorporate that and again not really relying as heavily as you mentioned on the on the synthesizers or the electric guitars and things that you might expect from 
from uh, Justice League Unlimited, which generally used a lot more of that style of music. So yeah, a good uh, a good change of pace and uh, and a good and a good reason to have that change of pace as well because of sort of the specialized story they were telling. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Liam, let's bring it home here with our final category of the day, which is going to be voice acting. Uh, not a huge cast here, but we do have uh, some some characters playing more than one character. Characters <laughs> we're used to hearing play other characters, uh, play play other characters. Uh, it's it's a huge mess, but uh, I think it's a it's a pretty fun voice cast to to cover this week. So let's talk about this week's voice cast. Absolutely, we'll uh, we'll rapid fire through a few. We do have Chris Cox as uh, Captain Adam and the Shining Knight. Um, this is the replacement Captain Adam. I know we weren't a fan of the original, but uh, but uh, here we have uh, the new Captain Adam voice actor here, and he, he does a fine job in that limited role. And uh, elsewhere in our task force, we do have uh, returning from Batman the Animated Series, Alan uh, might butcher this, Rachins or Rashins. I'm not sure how you would say that, but uh, the returning voice of Clock King. And it's one of those things where I did look it up because when I heard him speak, I was like, well, that's either the clock, a really good sound alike. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, it is in fact the, the same actor there. So again, he doesn't have a ton to do in this episode. Like we said, sort of the, the guy in the chair sort of giving uh, a little bit of advice and, and letting and sort of helping the uh, boomerang to time his explosives to uh, plastics explosives. So but uh, very cool to have that uh, that character back and to have the original voice actor back as well. We do uh, briefly have CCH Pounder uh, returning as Amanda Waller here, as again we, we sort of see at the end of the episode that it's uh, that's sort of all connected to this overarching Cadmus story arc. You really think we can do something with this? An invulnerable juggernaut forged by the gods? Oh, yes, Miss Fuller. Most definitely. I heard we lost Plastique. Yes, ma'am. You'll have my full report by 0800. Right, that'll be all. Rick. You're a good soldier. Your father would be proud. Ma'am. as far as our squad themselves we do have donald gibson as a uh, captain boomerang this is actually his final role as an actor hmm. um but uh he does this and then of course one more episode uh later on in jlu um but uh yeah i, I like him again i i would uh, i would perhaps leave it up to our friend nate uh, nathan from superman the animated podcast to judge his uh his propensity for the australian accent here but uh you know it's a, it seems like a pretty authentic you know Cap captain boomerang stepping right out of the comics into this uh into this animated world here yeah it seems it seems somewhere between like crocodile dundee and, <laughs> uh, and the crocodile hunter i guess i don't know like there you go it's he didn't quite you know there's there's no weird dingoes and <laughs> Uh, crikey or any of the the cliched uh, 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 
sayings from that we as Americans would assign to uh, somebody from Australia. But yeah, I think I think he does a he certainly does a fine job. I I chuckled when uh, they're talking about uh, as after they've gotten through security and Plastique uh, gestures over to him and says, "I can't believe uh, she she almost lost it when when this guy set off the the metal detectors." And he goes, "Well, seventy five cents is seventy five. <laughs> he couldn't let us through fast enough. That was nothing." I almost lost it when this bonehead set off the metal detector. 75 cents is 75 cents. I'm supposed to throw away money? Shut your mouths and get your mind on the job. Speaking of plastic, we do have Juliet Landau, uh, who folks might know from uh, a recurring role on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, as well as some other voice work. But she actually plays both Plastique and Tala. And uh, it's interesting because I did not realize that was the same actress uh for one and second i feel like in the first scene she sounds just like she's just kind of doing like the sultry femme fatale voice and then when she's when she's setting the explosive like she has a southern accent like am i going crazy here (laughs) no i yeah i'm not sure did she have it the whole time and i just didn't pick up on it in the first scene yeah, I think it was just maybe more subtle in the first scene. I, I don't know. I honestly didn't pick up on that. But yeah, that's it could have just been a change in the way that she decided to deliver some of the lines or to have a thicker accent in the in the uh, the second second part, but or the second half of the episode. So now I didn't pick up on that myself. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll blame it on maybe maybe the first couple of scenes. She didn't have as many, many uh, words that that come out uh all southern like i guess i don't know <laughs> that's fair yeah but uh of course she is bouncing off of uh usually we would save this this guy for the for the main cast but we have michael rosenbaum uh guest starring in his own show as uh he's not playing the flash <laughs> but he is doing uh doing his best uh retroactively uncomfortable uh kevin spacey impression here as uh, as the as he uh, of course voiced Deadshot previously in uh, the Enemy Below as a, as well as I think one other episode and and here he is again and if other than that uncomfortable <laughs> that we know it's a Kevin Spacey impression that's not his fault right. um, especially because this was recorded in two thousand and four or whatever but uh, yeah it's it's interesting again hearing him sort of be the the sleazy guy he doesn't really ever get out of that that sort of really laissez-faire sort of uh you know quiet sarcastic uh rasp to his voice but he does again have some fun moments both in interacting with Juliet landau as plastique and with uh as you mentioned sort of uh the couldn't resist sort of twisting the knife into green lantern with the uh with the hawk girl comments yeah, he's got a bunch of good one-liners, and as you said, he's constantly flirta- uh, flirting and being flirtatious with Plastique. Quite a few double entendres, at least <laughs> early early dialogue with her as well. So, yeah, he's unsurprisingly very good, uh, even if it's a little bit of an uncomfortable impersonation that he's doing for the voice. But that aside, that doesn't take anything away from the <laughs> performance. And even though you know it's Michael Rosenbaum and that is slightly, slightly distracting, as we've said, some of those, some of those voices, it's different enough from the flash where it, it was okay. By the time the episode ends, we, it's, it's a big bowl of okay. After that, you're okay with it. It, it blends in. (laughs) I think that's fair. Um, I will say before we get to our, our main leaguers, we do have one more voice to talk about, which I think is really the standout for me. Um, and that is Adam Baldwin, uh, who folks would probably know 
from Full Metal Jacket, most famously, uh, but uh, playing Rick Flag here. And normally, Cal, when I would say, if I referred to someone as like monotone, that would be an insult. But I think he really nailed it because of who this Rick Flag character is shown to be in this episode. He's just this such such this single-minded, you know, the ultimate soldier, you know, going into battle. So from from that first scene where he's sort of instructing Deadshot about the the nanite laced meal that he ate and how he's gonna, if he tries to run away, he'll look funny running with no head. And then you know he's sort of introducing the plan and and sort of barking orders throughout the episode at all of them and all the way through to the end there when when he has that brief interaction with Waller and and she. Uh, his father would be proud of him and then you know Deadshot tries to walk away and he reminds him that he's still on the hook for another five years like I just I think fantastic here and it's because he just plays it he's so straight and so serious the whole time there's not really any kind of crack in the uh in the armor other than maybe when uh, when he first runs uh runs across the Shining Knight and uh and and vigilante i think he does get kind of one sort of half smile and one liner out of him at that point but other than that he's just this really single-minded unstoppable soldier and we see that as this real like physical force as they, they kind of again tee that up earlier in the episode when captain boomerang says oh this one don't need no weapons and then we see him in action and we just see this sort of ferocity that he has i i think he just knocked it out of the park as uh, as rick flag here yeah, he's really, really good. He is the soldier that is obeying orders, as you mentioned, and is doing so for the love of his country and doing what he believes right and has to hold these supervillains in check. But at no time does it feel like he's he's intimidated by the fact that these people have killed multiple humans more than likely and that they are mm-hmm. super criminals and that they were on death row at one point. So yeah, I think that that balance of being able to, to be a soldier, a quiet force for what he's doing, but also uh, there's, there's certainly some hint of humor as he, he's certainly willing to joke and, and sort of taunt and tease Deadshot about uh, mm-hmm. eating the nanites. He, then of course, <laughs> uh, as he's sort of prodding the security guard about not having to get Jean involved, uh, that, that's another moment for him. And then mm-hmm. um, e- even after he slips the, the right hand to, to uh, Captain Boomerang reminding him that uh that there's uh the the annihilator runs on rage <laughs> comedy there too but yeah it's a uh, great and then that final line that he delivers where he really believes not only that he's that amanda waller doesn't have anything on him that he believes that he's doing the right thing and he's doing what he's doing because of for the love of his country is certainly delivered in a very sincere manner so i think that uh, i think that he does a he does a really great job most fun i've had since my last root canal well, gang, guess I'll be sink. Dream on, dirtbag. Five years. You sign up for missions like this for five years. If you survive, then you go free. You don't like it, there's a nice warm seat waiting for you back at Bell Rev Correctional. Tell me, Colonel. What's Waller got on you? Not a thing. Some of us don't have to be blackmailed into serving their country. And then, then we just have our, our two uh, original Justice Leaguers to mention. Of course, uh, Chris Cox also voiced Shining Knight and Michael Rosenbaum also briefly gave a voice to the vigilante there. But our main Justice Leaguers, we, of course, have Phil Lamar 
as Green Lantern and uh, and Carl Lumbly as Martian Manhunter. And uh, like we said, they don't. Neither one of them, because it's so focused on the villains, neither one of them has a lot to do. But I do, as we as we've already sort of talked about in our plot section. But that final beat there, where uh, where they're discussing, you know, what what should be done about this traitor in their midst and everything, and and John just sounds so angry and paranoid, and and Green Lantern is sort of trying to be the voice of reason to them. I think some really, even though it's brief, I think that's really a, a really fantastic uh, exchange that those two actors have. Yeah, it's great. And and Jean really gets, uh, and Mr. Lumley really gets to, to show off his his range in this one. He's not just the simply cold, calm, and collected uh, as we, we sort of are used to him, but he gets to really really show some of the dynamic emotion that he gets to, to show off, certainly more than usual, I'll say that, as he gets to instruct and and uh, certainly help evacuate the Watchtower. But then again, that, that final scene is he's qu- clearly quite, angry and upset uh, Mr. Lumbly's performance really does a great job of standing out because we're not used to hearing that type of emotion come out of, of this character uh, it, but it, you know Mr. Lumbly didn't miss a beat it was a it was it's a, it's a great performance and just the way that he delivers it clearly emotes that this is a, a different different feeling than we're used to for this character and the fact that they're interacting together and uh, Phil Lamar delivering that final line is you know well we actually can't trust anyone now it's like ooh, that's so good and the way that mm-hmm. it just sort of hangs out there um, just and the, like the deliberate way that he he delivers the line is is great. Yeah, it's it's a great great opportunity to see those two characters who don't always have a chance to interact. It seems, but mm-hmm. man, what a what a pair of amazing legends they're working uh, working together and, and turning in some great performances. Absolutely, and I, I also think uh, Carl Lumbly's little bit of dialogue when the the squad first sort of makes it into the main hangar as they're trying to get away and he sort of floats down out of the sky and and asks them you know is being in here with me what you truly want and you know he has the glowing eyes and he just becomes this really it becomes like oh he's the final boss to uh before you think you think the level's over but here comes this uh you know this unstoppable boss and you almost do see him represented in the first part of that fight as as a monster as a as a as the villain of this piece or the antagonist of this piece because we've been so focused on the on the the task force characters so yeah really really interesting to see him kind of get to stretch his legs especially uh in in sort of a even though he doesn't have a ton of scenes to do it in Agreed. Yeah, yeah. So uh, for all those reasons, I uh, I ended up. I think there's some some pretty strong performances this week, um, and uh, and this may be the strongest. Well, by by score, it is the strongest category of the week for me. But I ended up giving voice acting a nine out of ten. What about you? Love that. Yeah, and one more time, I was just one point higher, so I, I ended up giving it a perfect score of ten out of ten. Oh, love that. Yeah, some some great performances all the way around here from the entire cast and uh, a lot asked on some of these guys that aren't used to maybe leading a, an entire episode other mm-hmm. than other than Michael Rosenbaum. So, yes, and no beats were skipped there. And you know, CCH Pounder as as uh, as as Amanda Waller, even, albeit brief, uh, a fine performance from her as well. Mm-hmm. And so you, you do really get some uh, some great performances, even even from the supporting cast as well. So. Love that. All right, Liam. Well, that will bring us to our final scores, believe it or not, for this week. And totaling everything up, 
I end up with a very respectable 31 out of 40 for this week. What about you? Uh, and I am a quite, a, uh, not quite a few, but a few points higher here. I ended up at a final score of a 35 out of 40. Wow. Um, yeah. So I think, like I said, I think, I think we were just one point apart in each category, but uh, I was one point higher in each one. So yeah, I, uh, I think as we can, we can jump towards rewatchability here. I think this is a pretty easy two thumbs up for me. Um, I think on one hand, it's just a good episode. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it has some characters that are either returning in, in people like Deadshot and, and then also, you know, a character like Captain Boomerang who will appear again later on. Um, it's, it's a great episode as well. Just like we said, even in a bubble with, even if you're not that familiar with the, the Cadmus story arc, I think you could just watch this one by itself and it would still be interesting and enjoyable too. And then, uh, yeah, as part of the, on the other hand, as part of the, the overarching Cadmus story arc, it's a, you know, it's another piece of that puzzle of this sort of deepening paranoia and, and, and mistrust between, between the U S government and the justice league. So it's, it's a huge part of the ongoing story, and I, and I think it uh, it checks boxes as far as just being a really fun episode of television to watch as well. Agreed. Yeah, I, I think this is definitely as part of the Cadmus story arc, as we've already mentioned. It's you know it's a fun twenty two minutes. It's definitely a different style than we're used to than what the rest of the mm-hmm. uh, DCAU kind of puts out there. So you you have this classic caper heist storyline that we're used to that make up so many famous movies, but you adapt it to a twenty two minute story and it works out really well. And there's certainly some tension and some excitement and whether or not they're going to be able to complete this mission and what's happening with the justice league you almost find yourself rooting against the justice league which just tells you how great the writing is <laughs> so yeah it's it's really really good I, I think this is a two thumbs up for me as well awesome all right Liam. well that will begin to wrap us up for this week's episode thank you everybody for tuning in don't forget we would love to hear your thoughts on this week's episode as well we uh we know that these episodes of justice league unlimited are some of the most popular they've been the most listened to when we've covered the cabinet story arc before so we'd love to hear your feedback tweet us at dcau review give us a follow there uh, liam and uh liam runs our twitter page we get the opportunity to interact with you that's always a always a blast you can also of course comment on our face or or our Instagram, not Facebook. Well, we have a Facebook, but we don't talk about that. We don't talk about that or, or Bruno for that matter. We don't talk about either of those things. Um, but uh, Instagram at DCAU review as well. You can certainly comment there and let us know. There's also a spot each week. If you listen on Spotify, exclusive to Spotify, there's a question that we usually ask each week. So you can certainly uh, give us your thoughts that way. You can also uh, respond to our poll we put up each week through the Spotify app if you are a Spotify listener as well. So kudos, benefits for those that listen to us through Spotify, which not only can you listen to us through Spotify, but you can listen to us through Apple Podcasts, where if you're on there, we would appreciate a five-star review. Or if you're on Spotify, you can also leave a five-star review for us. We would greatly appreciate that. Helps uh, helps us in algorithms and let people know that when they uh, give us a try, that they're hopefully going to be listening to something good. Uh, You can support the podcast not only by subscribing or following us on social media you can head over to dcaureview.com and head to our shop pick up a piece of merch there's also a link at the bottom of every podcast that you can click on if you'd like to support us directly 
And then last but not least, the aforementioned Pod Tower YouTube channel. If you go over there, subscribe, like our videos when we post them. That's a free way to support us and one that we appreciate greatly. Liam, we are moving forward here and continuing in a month of Justice League Unlimited episodes. Let's talk about which one we'll be covering next week. That is right, Cal, and we will be uh, going forward with another episode of JLU next week, and this is not only a pretty hotly requested uh, multiple times we have been asked about when we were going to review our, in our JLU reviews, but I think uh, this is one that's a, a pretty big personal favorite of, uh, of you as well. That is right, Liam. Double Date is uh, one of my favorite Justice League Unlimited episodes of all time. Maybe the episode that I've watched the most of this Justice League Unlimited run. Haven't watched in a little bit here and certainly not with a critical eye. So excited to see if it holds up under the extreme scrutiny that we put these episodes under. But it's uh, sure to be a fun one next week. Can't wait. Absolutely. It's going to be just a really fun time. Uh, Of course, that episode written by... Uh, great Gail Simone so uh, a lot of a lot of fun stuff to get into with that one next week be a blast but until then I'm Cal and I'm Liam and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the DCAU review bye bye